Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow The Lines on Twitter at TheLinesUS. You can follow Monawara on Twitter at Monawara. He is our baseball betting savant with the League Championship Series still going on at least as we record this here on Monday afternoon, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the lines releases a new sports betting video in any market, including the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA tipping off tomorrow. So that's exciting. Mo may have some content up on the website. Not like I'm pushing him to do anything there. I think that's more so Steven, but I digress. Also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify as well. If you're checking us out, just listening to the content. Available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. And hopefully you're following our bets this season here on Beat the Closing Number. Mo, we are a combined 18-9 and with spreads and totals this season so far through seven weeks. When you hear that, what do you think? I feel like I should have a lot more money. (laughs) Well, on that note, how did your week seven bets go? Small loser, I think. Uh, very bad halftime bet cost me, basically. Should have been breaking even, slightly losing juice. But, uh, yeah, I thought maybe there'd be a punt at some point in Browns-Colts. That was a erroneous assumption. Wild back-and-forth game, and we'll touch on that game when we get to the f- second matchup. So we're going to hit on four NFL Week 8 games, looking at spreads, not totals, just spread. So Thursday Night Football, Bills, Bucks, Seahawks, Browns, as I alluded to. I, I might to. have Chiefs. something to say about a total. Okay. All right. Good tease there. Chiefs, Broncos, and wrapping up with Sunday Night Football, the Chargers, the lowly Los Angeles Chargers against the Chicago Bears. So Mo just about broke even. It sounds like maybe small loser, like he said. Good week for me. 17 to 10 overall this season. Ravens cash. I'm not going to rub it in your face, Mo, because I actually respect you, unlike some handicappers. Patriots also hit home. And Broncos, even money on the money line came through for me. Luckily, Jordan Love interception, where he had A.J. Dillon over the middle of the field on that final play for Green Bay offensively. Fortunate for me that Jordan Love was piss poor in the first half and off script in the second half led to some high efficiency throws. But Denver able to get that game-winning field goal on their second-to-last offensive possession. Really the only of those two offensive possessions that mattered. And cash that Broncos money line bet. About time, man. About time with the Broncos. Had four losers on Denver before that. But Baltimore, New England, and Denver hit for me. By the way, with the Ravens, 126.8% DVOA in that win over Detroit. Goff again struggles in poor conditions. This time the wind. The best single-game DVOA result this season, and the 14th best since 1981. Any takeaways from Ravens-Lions? Maybe on Baltimore moving forward, I'm pretty happy with my Ravens futures, at least in terms of them having a shot, maybe to come out of the AFC after that performance. Their best game of the season by far. And then we'll touch on Steelers-Rams and that terrible spot that gave Pittsburgh the victory, even though... Probably deserve the win anyways. But any thoughts on Ravens-Lions first, Mel? No thoughts whatsoever. I don't think there's anything you can take away from that game. The Lions just straight up no-showed. I mean, you lose an NFL game by 40, especially on the road, which is where you see a lot of these no-shows. 
you, you just you just didn't show up and, and you just didn't come to play. And, you know, I mean, I know my buddy Rich Ryan <clears throat> likes to say that the Lions are immune to no-shows because of Dan Campbell, and it looked like maybe they were, but maybe uh, maybe they were reading a little bit of their own headlines. So, uh, yeah, they definitely mailed that one in. Hadn't faced really, uh, and not that we saw a full complete offensive performance from the Ravens up until yesterday, albeit probably over three quarters. Cause like you said, it was a blowout, but Baltimore's explosive passing offense was able to get down the field at will against that Lions secondary. That's been banged up throughout the season without TJ Gardner, Johnson and Mosley, I think for the rest of the way, but on to Pittsburgh and LA, just because that was one of two poorly officiated games. Pickett, getting the generous spot on fourth and one at the two-minute warning. The Rams don't have any timeout, so they couldn't challenge the spot. Who knows what happens if LA gets the ball back? Maybe they go for a game-time touchdown and then win the game with a touchdown in overtime to cover or push, depending on what number betters got the Rams at. If anybody did bet the Rams, could have potentially pushed on LA minus three. But like I said, LA just barely outgaining Pittsburgh in yards per play by point oh by point three yards per play. Kenny Pickett with four point one total expected points added EPA better than Matt Stafford, who had just about a negative one point oh oh EPA on the day. Not good for a an exploitable or up against an exploitable Steelers secondary up until yesterday. Steelers able to get a lot of pressure, and that led to the TJ Watt interception early on in the second half, which set Pittsburgh up goal to go, believe, and able to cash in with a touchdown on that possession, ensuing possession. So anything there for you, Mo? I know your handicap was pretty much spot on with the Steelers. Cashing with Pittsburgh had around plus three. I was with you on that side. Didn't bet it, but felt good with Pittsburgh. Takeaways from the Steelers and Pittsburgh sitting at four and two after the bye. Yeah, I think just a a good bet. I think a relatively evenly matched game, you know, like I thought it would be. Um, And just a simple way to handicap. I think it's just just a shortcut going forward, honestly, against the Rams or for the Rams. Honestly, if you are leaning that way in a certain week, just look at if the other team can can get pressure on Matt Stafford. I mean, he can't move anymore. And if I see a defense like the Steelers that can win up front and can harass him into not being able to plant his feet and fire, I'm just going to keep taking those sides, I think. so. And then I'll be maybe looking to bet the Rams in spots where they face defenses that can't put any pressure on Matt Stafford. One last question for you before we get started on these four games here. How much do you think Jalen Hurts can leg press? I'm told he can squat 600, so he can probably like press like nine. So good for him, but I don't want to hear about it anymore. Next, they're going to tell me Tom Brady's age on the broadcast. (laughs) Mo tweeting that out last night, Saturday football. It was a big story down the stretch with the tush push brotherly shove given the Eagles a couple of fourth down conversions and able to go up two possessions on that ensuing drive. But yeah, we heard about it, but I'm just also like, I'm looking at these plays and I'm like, I would have got a first down. I mean, it does not matter how strong Jalen hurts is on these plays. Like it's the Eagles. They could put their backup quarterback in and the same thing would be happening. Their, their interior offensive line is getting a far superior push compared to what other teams are able to do. Every other team I, I see try to use this, it seems like it's like 
And then with the Eagles, they get three yards. So I don't think it has anything to do with Jalen Hurts a lot of the time. A lot of the time I'm seeing him, nobody's even touching him until he's already got the first down. So, I mean, whatever the Eagles are doing, I congratulate them because other teams have tried to replicate it and they can't. I'm going to throw you, I lied, one more quick question in the in terms of the betting market here. If we look at the NFC East odds, Philly around minus 200. That's the cheapest price for the Eagles to win the division. Dallas, seemingly what they were to open the season at around plus 180. I believe I got them at plus 195. I don't want to do too much of a deep dive. Maybe we'll touch on more Eagles and their ensuing matchup against the Commanders before they play Dallas in Week 9. But you kind of hit on this in our Discord channel. And for anybody that's not subscribed, you can head over to thelines.com, get into our Discord channel to get our bets as soon as we place them just head over to the rule section of the discord channel but what did you make of philly last night man because jalen hurts made some great throws but dolphins missed their fair share of opportunities whether it was the tyree kill drop touchdown whether i you know it seemed like he kind of was you rarely see that with hill maybe you more so than others because you were a chiefs fan and you saw a lot of tyree kill but kind of looking ahead as opposed to just catching the ball. And then Jalen Waddle coming back into the game, either late in the third quarter or early in the fourth quarter. And poor route with he and Mostert in the same area, leading to the Tua interception. Eagles cover, game goes under, but I still wasn't that impressed with the Eagles. Maybe that's just my intuition with this team and maybe my prior speaking from more than what they showed last night. Your take there? I feel the same. Uh, <clears throat> I think the Dolphins left a lot on the field. This is a game where I also thought it was a pretty one-sided officiating contest. I didn't have a dime on the Dolphins, but I thought they got a pretty raw whistle that pretty much that whole game. Uh, I think it was 10 accepted penalties to zero uh, at some point in the fourth quarter. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was pretty poorly refed, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, obviously that Tyreek, I mean, he should have jogged into the end zone, but... As I was saying in the Discord, every Chiefs fan has seen this so many times. I, I know that Tyreek Hill makes all the big plays, and everyone sees all the highlights. He has not. He he drops balls like that on a regularly on a pretty regular basis. I mean, maybe it's a volume thing, and you're just seeing so many passes to him that there's bound to be some drops. But I have seen many many high leverage drops from him, so. Uh, it's not that crazy, and it was very unfortunate for me. But yeah, I'm with you. Um, Eagles, I mean, they're good, but I, saw, I think we still saw some some poor Jalen Hurts plays uh, and just don't think he's the quarterback that I would be super comfortable having the ball in their hands with a final drive about to happen against a decent defense. Dallas, by the way, game and a half back in the division, their schedule. Like I said, they play the Eagles in week nine, Rams in week eight. May touch on that game on the Thursday yeah, edition. I think now is probably a good time to buy in on Dallas just because the Eagles have a hellish schedule coming up. Yeah, we alluded to that last week. I mean, it is a gauntlet, man. I think we touched on that with Todd Furman, our guest. Really fun episode to beat the closing number last Thursday, but... Outside of this Commanders game, and if you want to consider it a look-at spot to Dallas in Week 9, I don't blame you. I may end up on Washington. We'll see if the number gets to 7, but 6.5 is still appealing to me. Then it's 
after Dallas bye week at Kansas City, Buffalo at home, Niners NFC Championship game rematch at Dallas again. So facing the Cowboys for the second time in five weeks. If you want to include the buy or excluding the buy and then at Seattle, like I mentioned, the Eagles started out the season the way they had to with the way the schedule lines up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this is going to be this is Dallas's chance. I mean, you have to gain ground here. You have to gain a lot of ground. I think they probably need to be ahead by the time that stretches over, uh, which they very well could be. I'm with you. And some sharp people in the betting space bet Dallas to not only win the division, but make the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl at around 16 to 1 preseason. I think it's still around that number. I'm not saying that I'm buying into it. I have just a Ravens position and that's it. But I do kind of like that Cowboys price considering only a game and a half back. You have the Eagles in week nine. Favorable matchup with the Rams. We were touching on this, even though the spread is around five and a half, six. Fade LA potentially against stout defensive fronts. Cowboys coming off the bye with one of the best pass rushing units, as we saw with Micah Parsons against Herbert in week six, down the stretch in that game on the Chargers' final offensive possession. But I digress, Mo. Week eight, as we look ahead to these four games, and if you're planning on betting any week eight action first time users with BetMGM sportsbook can use bonus code the lines to get up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet loses remember that's promo code the lines terms and conditions apply remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money mo has his survivor guide up on the lines.com and my college basketball power ratings officially two weeks away from the start of the season those are up on the lines homepage too with two futures looks those are also in the Discord channel. So Thursday night football, Mo, Bills against the Bucks. Buffalo, a seven and a half point home favorite, total of 42 and a half. If you shop around and you like Buffalo, there are some juice sevens out there. Look at line was eight and a half. Keep that in mind. Josh Allen, I know the Bills have a ton of injuries, more so on their defense, but Bills offense really hasn't looked in sync the last three weeks. And Josh Allen was outgained by 2.4 yards per pass attempt against Mac Jones. Pretty astounding stuff. If you said in the Bills-Patriots first matchup of the season, before the season began, that we would see a number like that. And like I said, banged up Buffalo secondary. Outside of Tredavious White, actually, they had most of their pieces in there, but White, obviously, their best coverage corner. No Matt Milano, Daquan Jones, both of those guys believe out for the rest of the season. Ed Oliver was out for this game, so Bills pass rush took a hit, too. And on the flip side, Tampa Bay losing as a two-and-a-half-point home favorite to Atlanta. So the Bucs have lost two straight games coming off the bye. Bucs offensive line ranks just below league average in pass block win rate. Keep that in mind if the Bills get Ed Oliver back. You were touching on this earlier in the season when we were hitting on some Bills. I think it was week four in the Commanders matchup. As a home favorite of seven points or more with Josh Allen, 17 and one straight up. So that's not against the number, but straight up 17 and five straight up 14, seven and one against the spread against the NFC in his career. You think about AFC usually having the upper hand against the NFC, just in terms of power ratings. And you kind of said this earlier in the year too, Mo, when the bills have the upper hand against the opposition as a sizable favorite, usually see Josh Allen take care of business. So do you think we get a bounce back performance from Buffalo on Thursday night? I'm not sure. Um, this game 
It is a tough one for me as far as that goes. Uh, it's hard to trust the Bills at this point after two straight very poor performances against just overmatched teams, you know, like 15-point favorites, and they almost lost to the Giants. And then you want to believe that's a one-off, but uh, to lay an egg here in a divisional matchup was pretty rough with, with that as that big of a favorite. But at the same time, how can you trust the Bucks either, you know? In this matchup especially, I mean, dude, Buffalo entered week seven, number one in pressure rate. And one thing we know is Baker Mayfield will completely wilt pretty often under pressure. Uh, so not a spot where I would want any part of anything other than possibly a Bills teaser as far as sides go. I, I do like that the Bills got Dolan Kincaid much more involved this week. I think he had like eight catches for 75 yards or something. I think they're just been begging they need something other than Stefan Diggs, man. I mean, just way too over-reliant on Diggs. 15 targets every week, and that's fine. It works fine when you but that was, are... That was the weird part about the Patriots game yesterday. The Bills' explosive passing plays just aren't there. And I hate to use couch speak here, Monday morning quarterback, but watching that game and watching some of the replay of it, Josh Allen just missing throws to Diggs when he had space in one-on-one -on -one coverage. It was pretty absurd. We usually don't see that between those two. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I just think, you know, against a Patriots team that is very good at taking away your number one option. We've known that for years, you know, that was always right. going to be a, a tough, tough spot for them. And so it was nice to see them get Dolan Kincaid involved a little more. I think if that keeps going, that's going to help the offense a lot. Uh, Josh Allen versus the blitz. That's another thing I'm always looking at when you face a Todd Bowles defense, he's always going to try to, uh, blitz pretty often. And his PFF grade is a bit lower. It's not bad though. Um, but we have seen him. I think that jives with kind of what your eyes tell you watching the bills this year. It's kind of been the same thing he had down the stretch last year where he just had some bizarre, uh, just like brain farts. I don't know what you want to call them, but just bad misses, uh, like you were talking about, bad sacks at times um, when he's been under pressure. He'll need to be a lot better in this game because Tampa Bay, very difficult to run on. They have, I think, the second best EPA per play allowed um, versus opposing running games. Honestly, because I think the Bills should be passing and probably it'll work and we've talked all year about how you can beat this bill secondary I, I, this total seems very low to me 42 and a half i, I know short week though the bills yeah I, I know that the bills their defense has a good matchup in some ways here but at the same time this secondary is beatable and they have very very good receivers obviously for tampa um my fear it's just so hard to bet tampa honestly in any sort of game where they don't have like a significant advantage just because you just know their offense is going to have the most vanilla approach every week. They're just going to pound the rock with zero success on early downs. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's just mind mind numbing at times. And yeah, I know, I know primetime unders are usually just printing, but I, I, this total seems very low to me. I am interested in the over. And to your point too, about Allen under pressure ranks 22nd this year in pressured catchable pass rate at an even 50%. Pretty wild to just see that stat. Media is usually all over Josh Allen in a positive sense, but 
yesterday. And like you said, Belichick's really good at taking away the number one option, even though I thought Allen had some chances with Diggs. Zone, he mixed in some zone, and Allen usually struggles against zone. Baker, as you pointed out, and with the Lions game in week six, struggles against pressure. It's every every time Baker goes up against a, an above-average defensive front. Maybe a Bills teaser leg worth looking into. And I guess since we're not going to talk about Bills Bucks, if I just look at the board here really quick for anything that stands out to me on the surface, I'm not forcing a bet or anything like that. But if we look ahead to any other options for week eight to pair the Bills with, unless you're just looking at the overmo and not looking at anything in that regard. Maybe the Ravens, maybe you tease the Ravens down from eight to one. Yeah, those, I know that's, dude, those road favorites have been pretty rough this year yeah. on the teasers. Chargers? You you do like the Chargers this yeah, week. And we'll touch I would say on Chargers and Lions are both good options. Uh, I mean, Ravens isn't the worst either, I think, just because Arizona has been so, so bad basically for multiple, I mean, almost a month now, honestly, they've been just atrocious. And yeah, I would be just stunned if the Ravens didn't, didn't, you know, pretty easily win that game. But man, I, like I said, these road favorites have been really bad this year. Yeah. Unless we get a letdown performance from Baltimore, which could seemingly happen. You saw it with Dallas in week three. So maybe it happens with Baltimore as a favorite of above a touchdown this coming Sunday. And speaking of Arizona, they lost to Seattle yesterday, 20 to 10. Game goes under. Cardinals or Seattle was steamed up, and Arizona actually failed to cover. Maybe it doesn't seem like a surprise on the surface, but Cardinals won the turnover battle. Three zip as nine point underdogs closed around nine, nine and a half. And teams as seven point underdogs or higher who are plus three or better in the turnover department. Mo, get this. 165, six and three against the spread entering Sunday in the wild card era. That's how bad the Cardinals are right now. Yeah. Josh Dobbs, negative nine total expected points added. Pretty bad stuff. Oh man. Pretty- I know the Seahawks were definitely the right side in that game. I mean, they were, they should have been up by so much more than they were. Yeah. I mean, the turnovers didn't help Gino. For sure, but Arizona also didn't take advantage. I think Prater had a shot to cut it to a four-point game in the fourth quarter. You miss a chip shot field goal. I think it was around 34, 35 yards. But that Bobo catch, man, Bobo is... Bobo is nice. Fun name to say. But yeah, my buddy huge... said he was the man at UCLA, so he watches okay. all the college. So I defer to his opinion on that sort of thing. Dorian Thompson-Robinson to Bobo on late night Pac-12. Pac-12 after dark. For any of our college football viewers and listeners out there, I know Brett Gibbons of the Lions does great work on the college football show with Kelly Ford. So looking ahead to Seattle's next game, as we touch on Seahawks Browns in week eight, it's a three Oh five kickoff central time, four Oh five Eastern Seattle up to a three point favorite. Look at line was around two, two and a half Seattle minus three, even money. There are some juiced, Two and a half in favor of the Seahawks still left on the board. Total, low total again for a Seahawks game. Rightfully so. 40, 40 and a half. And that kind of goes to show you where the market's head is at with the Browns, despite Cleveland and Indy combining for a shootout and some. As you said, you didn't get the best of the under in any sort of way in week seven. I, I mentioned that crazy number with 
the Cardinals failing to cover against the Seahawks despite winning the turnover differential like that as a touchdown or greater underdog since 1950. I know you've already heard me say this once today, Mo, but since what? So over the last 72 years, NFL teams hadn't won a game in 631 contests when allowing 38 points, throwing two picks and getting out gained by 110 plus yards. The Browns were the first team since 1950 to get a win in that with those numbers in mind over the Colts yesterday. And they got the help of those defensive pass interferences or holding calls on their final possession. Deshaun Watson seems like he's going to play in after exiting the first quarter. It seemed like Kevin Stefanski was trying to hopefully have him avoid any sort of more damage to that rotator cuff that he's been dealing with. The shoulder injury, even though he exited the game initially for a concussion. But this game is so interesting to handicap because on the surface, you say Seattle, just based off of the fortune that Cleveland got. And just looking at the market here, market is already moving in the Seahawks direction. But taking Geno Smith when he's up against any sort of pressure with a banged up offensive line, although we don't know the status of a lot of those guys leading up to this week eight game is questionable as we saw in week six against the Bengals. Yeah, I'm agree. I agree with the move uh, from two and a half. I think it's honestly probably only going to keep moving towards Seattle. I could see this one closing as high as three and a half. I think at least this is going to close like flat minus three. So I'm definitely interested in the Seahawks. Um, yeah, I mean, right there in my notes, like you said, Cleveland just got a very, very lucky win. I thought they were soundly outplayed by Indianapolis. Um, really weird vibes going on on that team with Deshaun Watson. And, you know, I PJ Walker has made me some money in the past, but man, I mean, he's been mostly terrible this year. Like, we just have to be real. It, it's been pretty ugly. I think uh, our buddy who came onto the pod, uh, Suma, had an absolutely hilarious tweet like an hour or two ago I saw. I think he said that the Browns scored 23 points in a stretch where they gained 59 yards. I think that's what he said, which sounds about right. I mean, that's, you know, and then that's kind of baked in, right? When you do face Gardner Minshew, we know he can be loose with the football at times. Um we know yeah, he you has got a, that stat on a dime. Twenty three points accumulating fifty nine yards. Yeah, that's wow. this is obviously insane. Um we know <laughs> he has like a go for it mentality. We know he's gonna give the ball away at times, especially against an aggressive defense like Cleveland. They also had an absolutely insane field goal block. I mean Miles Garrett jumped over somebody. I mean, okay, I, I, that's a awesome, but I don't think it's going to happen again, probably. Yeah, um, not really predictive. Yeah, I mean, uh, amazing, <laughs> obviously. Miles Garrett is pretty much one of the best athletes in the world, probably. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's really a stretch to say. Um, but yeah, now facing, honestly, a much better passing offense. You know, I, I know Gino at times has had some bad moments himself, but uh, under pressure in recent weeks, t taking some bizarre sacks at times. The Seahawks have probably been one of the worst teams over the last few games as far as like converting yards into points. Like they are marching the ball, outgaining the opposition. This is supposed to be much more predictive than these 
fizzle outs at the 10 that keep happening. Um, so I'm guessing the Seahawks are going to score some more points at some point. I'm very tempted to buy them off two games like this where they probably should have been 2-0 and with... I know this is going to sound ridiculous to some people, but they probably should have won by double digits in both of those games, even though they lost to Cincinnati. I mean, they went one for five in the red zone. This is obviously crazy. But that's But to your point, and to both of our points about Geno and the Seahawks banged up offensive line facing pressure, that's what happened in the Bengals game. Right, and then you look at this Browns pass rush, obviously, and you just struggle to imagine a situation where Geno isn't running for his life. But at times, he can make great plays doing this. We've seen it going back to last season. They had a putrid offensive line last year, too, and he was dealing for most of the season. And and he's done it at times this year, too. I mean, DK Metcalf, he threw an absolutely beautiful pass to him under pressure. That should have been a touchdown. I know that it was a tough play. I'm not going to sit here and dump on DK for not making that play. It was a very tough play. So, but, but that could have easily been a touchdown. I mean, it was a great play. And Gino makes great plays like that all the time. But the last couple of weeks, it has been mixed in with some extremely bad plays as well. So a lot of variance. But, uh, man, I am a little bit interested in Seattle for sure. I, I'm just terrified of this offensive line against that pass rush. You brought up Seattle's inefficiency marching down the field. Or once they get down the field near and in the red zone, 33% red zone efficiency over their last three games. And I know red zone efficiency has been down in the NFL, maybe up until week seven. We saw some overs cash yesterday. But over their last three games, their red zone efficiency ranks tied for the fourth lowest with the Tennessee Titans. I'm honestly surprised anybody's been worse. <laughs> well, Tennessee, which kind of makes sense, considering the Baltimore result a couple weeks ago. Arizona. The Jets and the Giants. Are you surprised after I read that list? I guess uh, maybe not as surprised at this point. But I mean, honestly, when you, yeah, these these teams are just so bad. And it's just wild because the Seahawks are a pretty good team. I guess right. I shouldn't say that. The Jets are decent. That's, hey, you want to talk about pressure rate on the flip side. Cleveland has the sixth highest pressure rate in the league. Jets rank number one. And I mean, their defensive line dominated that Eagles game. I don't want to say they were the sole reason or the number one reason why they won that game, but close to it. And Jalen Hurts making erratic throws down the stretch did not help. But I would keep in mind the Seahawks injury report offensive line wise. Like I had on Abraham Lucas, Phil Haynes, Evan Brown, their status unknown for this one. But Mo, if this, I guess we'll reassess come Thursday. But if this line stays at three, even money, Maybe a juice two and a half, you're looking towards Seattle? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, definitely interested in Seattle. Have not pulled the trigger yet. Okay. On to the third game here on Beat the Closing Number. Remember, you can check out play.thelines.com if you're interested in any NFL Week 8 contest or if you're consuming Beat the Closing Number before Monday Night Football and any sport, really. We give away Amazon gift cards really on the daily Another late afternoon game on Sunday. Chiefs at Broncos rematch of week six. Kansas City anywhere between a seven and a half and eight point road favorite at Mile High City or in the Mile High City down from eight and a half. So the line reopened at eight and a half, which is where it was on the look ahead. But then we saw some Denver money come in late last night and early Monday morning. If you're checking us out here on Monday, total of 46. That has been steamed up but also saw some interest in the under as it got to 46 and a half 
Rematch of the week six Thursday night football game and Kansas City just barely covered. Although they did outgain Denver by over one and a half yards per play, but Denver giving away a field goal in the final, what, 30 seconds of that first half of Sean Payton seemingly calling one of the dumbest timeouts in NFL history, at least as it relates to the point spread, because that gave Kansas City a gimme field goal. Depends on how bad you want Caleb Williams, whether it's dumb or not. That's true. Maybe (laughs) that was like the subtle not so subtle conspiracy tanking theory going around uh, the Twitter verse, I think. You wonder, but the result yesterday at least gave me positive affirmation. I know I've been betting Denver a lot, and it's hard to avoid the Broncos when I keep having a quote-unquote edge. Hopefully yesterday's game is the start of the turn for me, but as you can assume, I am going back to the well with the Broncos. I bet Denver plus eight. You can find that play in the Discord channel. Over at thelines.com, the link in the top right-hand corner. So Kansas City covering that 10.5-point spread in Week 6. And that was the finale for me of the 0-4 stretch I had with backing Denver against the spread. Got one back yesterday against the Packers. You got an 11, though, luckily with the Broncos. That did end up pushing. And I want to go back to, even though the Broncos obviously lost that game by double digits, Denver has the third-ranked run block win rate this season, 52% rushing success rate in that first matchup. Javante Williams, even though you called him out for saying he was much healthier going into the Packers game, looks a lot healthier, looked healthier even in the Chiefs game. McLaughlin still breaking off some explosive runs, and his success rate, I think over 50% going back to the Packers win. Denver, as we both played on even though you played the under in Broncos Packers 32nd ranked tempo in neutral situations which correlates to the Broncos running the ball efficiently and they can't move the ball Russell Wilson and he missed a couple gimme throws including a second down throw to Javante Williams that maybe was catchable but also was behind Williams and it's not like Javante Williams is Samaj P. Ryan or McLaughlin but Chiefs allowing the third highest EPA per carry this season As I said, they gave up their fair share of trunk plays to Denver in week six. Chiefs linebacker Nick Bolton, by the way, dislocated wrist in their win over the Chargers out two months. And he's their best run stopping linebacker. And Kansas City has that Germany game in week nine against the Dolphins. So a potential look ahead spot here. I still think this number is slightly inflated, considering if you give home field advantage about one and a half points in today's NFL. If you think closing number in Broncos Chiefs week six was ten and a half. So on a neutral field, that's down to nine, maybe seven, seven and a half, depending on how much you want to equate to the altitude in Denver. I still think that's one of the bigger home field advantages in the NFL because of altitude. Maybe I give them two points. So I still think this line is slightly, slightly inflated in the Chiefs direction. Travis Kelsey also, man, I'm really curious. I know he has played pretty much a full snap count going back to the Broncos game and the Chargers game yesterday. Kansas City covering that, and we'll touch on the Chargers here in a second, but that ankle sprain is still bothering Kelsey, as you saw yesterday, even though Kansas City covered the six-point spread. Justin Herbert was pitiful, and so was that Chargers defense. (laughs) But I am betting Denver, as I've stated. I really like the Broncos in this spot to cover I mean, this is not to use the cliche, this is their season, but 
I still think they have a pulse in terms of what they're playing for. I don't think they've completely given up or Peyton. I don't expect any trades ahead of the trade deadline this week. But what say you with Broncos Chiefs, Mel? I like Denver a little bit too. Uh, <clears throat> I think everything you said is pretty much spot on. I have a lot of the same stuff in my notes, actually. Like, first thing is just the same thing you said. Uh, Chiefs closed minus 11 at home. So now playing on a road where, like, a road spot that actually is meaningful. So why are we north of eight and a half here on this line? Or, or north of eight, I mean. It doesn't really make sense. The line seems a little bit too high to me. Uh, when I was looking at the look-aheads, I thought this should be seven at most. So I think Denver's probably a bet above seven. And a lot of the things you say are definitely true. I, I don't know if I agree about Kelsey. I, I thought he looked pretty good. I, I know that... I know that he's like, he had a tough time separating from man coverage. It seemed like the Chargers really switched up to a more aggressive man defense in the second half and it slowed a lot of the Chiefs offense down. I thought people were just weren't getting open as much. He's still just a genius. And if you play zone against him, he's going to find the spot. So I think attacking him with man coverage is probably a little better. He, he was having some tough time separating uh, at times against man, but I also think that might just be because he's 34 now and just not as fleet of foot as he once was, you know? So I don't know if Denver has the horses to do that. Uh, we know the chargers have some great athletes on their defense, obviously, but uh, <clears throat> one thing that you were talking about with Nick Bolton is definitely spot on, man, that looked very, very painful for one, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, that looked like a very painful tearing up, injury. Tearing up over there for your starting Ugh, line. He was not, yeah, he was not uh, not looking like he was in a lot of comfort there. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, he, he is very strong against the run. And his replacement, I think this is the big key, is Drew Tranquil, which on the one hand, having Drew Tranquil as your replacement linebacker is tremendous. He is a very good player. But it's mm, he's a very one-dimensional player is what I should say. Like everything he's good at is against the pass. He's he's good in coverage and he's a very, very good blitzer. Uh, so not such a good he's a bad tackler. So he's pretty weak in run support at times. So I would say that if anything, the Chiefs run defense is probably going to be weaker than it looks on paper this week. Overall, I would just say even though the Chiefs played a very strong game in week seven. I mean, they were probably one of the most impressive teams. They completely destroyed the chargers, which is a very talented team. I know that their record is bad, obviously, but we all know that this is one of the most talented teams in the NFL and they had nothing for the chiefs, but we've seen divisional road favorites of this size have a tough time. Multiple Buffalo times yesterday, Buffalo, the Eagles. Um, yeah, you just, uh, the only thing is, like, I same thing I said before when the Chiefs played the Broncos. I, I just worry about any situation where Patrick Mahomes is under no pressure. I mean, the Chargers got whooped up front by the Chiefs in the passing game yesterday, and it was just, it was a laughable situation. I mean, he's just dropping back in just the most dreamy pockets, and this is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you, it, it's just, it's just free yards at that point. So if you don't get any pressure at all, you're just dead, and... I don't know how you can slow down this team because the weakness of this offense is probably at tackle. Uh, they haven't been very good. But at the same time, you have a Denver team that is 31st in, in pressure rate. I mean, and, and they blitz actually relatively often. I mean, they're in the middle of the pack. So we saw that in the other game. I mean, the Chiefs moved the ball up and down the field. They just kept kicking field goals. So, uh, yeah, I feel like I was kind of lucky to get a push, honestly, at 11. I mean, the Chiefs 
probably should have won by more, but I, I don't know. I, I do think Denver's the side, though. You gave me a great segue into Broncos pressure, even though, like you said, Denver ranks bottom two, bottom three in the NFL in pressure rate this year. Getting Baron Browning back at linebacker was big, not only against the run, but four pressures against the Packers. He's a Granted, good pass rusher. Yeah, he is. Weaker Green Bay offensive line than Kansas City. But still, notable number in his first game back, 25% pass rush win rate. So getting him back and likely playing more snaps, more meaningful snaps. And that you kind of touched on this too with Kelsey going up against Kelsey. You, you have to either, and Denver's secondary, having Justin Simmons back there as he missed the two and a half games leading up to the Chiefs loss, push for some, cover or not cover. That was the fourth. Broncos lost for me on the season. Not salty about it or anything like that. But having Justin Simmons back there and healthy is big against Kelsey. A, Sertain was pretty much following, shadowing Kelsey around. Yeah, the second half. I think they just gave up on anything else. <laughs> they were just like, we can't do anything against this guy. So you're our best player. You go cover him and we'll see what happens. Right. I think we may see the same. By the way, Denver penalties too. It's not only tough to back the Broncos in a potential negative game script, which is potentially on the board every single game with this Broncos team if they're not able to exploit the opposition in the run game and establish that very slow, methodical, neutral script tempo-wise. But penalties yesterday. I mean, Sean Payton, as I continue to dive into the reports around Denver, because I'm seemingly backing them every week, Payton was in Vance Joseph's ear, and rightfully so. Just substitution issues for this Denver defense. And it's not like these are now backups playing. Also, Kareem Jackson continues to get ejected almost every game. Why doesn't he just give us the money instead of taking the ejection? I, I'll take the 40, 90 grand, whatever it is. Every game, he's getting ejected. Although, I will say, I would rather him get suspended this week. Who was the guy that picked off Jordan Love yesterday? Because he subbed in for for Jackson late. Who was it? PJ Locke had the pick as he swept over there and and made the game winning play for for Denver. So thankfully for me, finally cashed a Broncos ticket. But yeah, I am I'm still optimistic about Denver, at least in terms of getting value with the number. And I think it sounds like you're gonna be on the Broncos too above seven. Yeah, I think so. Another thing is like you brought up this could be a good live betting game. Just make sure Denver doesn't fall way behind basically early on. And then you can probably take a lesser number and be fine. Um, Cause we saw what happened when they got into a negative game state against the chiefs before. I mean, the chiefs overwhelm them up front and Russ holds onto the ball way too long. The chiefs have a pretty good pass rush and Steve Spagnolo is very creative dialing up his blitzes. So, Russ was just completely lost, basically, in must-pass situations against the Chiefs. So I would say if if they fall behind by, you know, 10 points or something in the first half, uh, it could be curtains for Denver because we could be seeing another sack fest for the Chiefs defense. I mean, they sacked Russ several times in that game. On to the Sunday Night Football, so literally the finale among the Week 8 games on Sunday. Chargers, speaking of L.A., Eight and a half point favorites against the Bears. It's down from the look at line of nine and a half. Total of 46 and a half. As you touched on, Kansas City held Herbert to what looks like, I believe, just over or just under a full point in total EPA. Two picks. Coverable game for much of it, even though, like you said, Kansas City 
dominated up front in the trenches, getting a lot of pressure on Herbert and keeping the pocket clean for Mahomes. But L.A. was down by a touchdown-ish for much of the game. Spread close six. Chargers secondary continues to be exploitable. Brandon Staley, his calling card as a head coach or as a D.C., and then turn head coach with the Chargers. That defense, run defense-wise, and against the pass, getting picked apart. But now they face Tyson Bajan, who got his first career NFL win in his first career start against the Raiders. Josh McDaniels, you want to talk about tanking. Sean Payton maybe doing so two weeks ago. Starting Brian Hoyer may have, may have been the white flag for the Raiders, even though they were at 500 going into that game against the Bears. Maybe not. He called out Aiden O'Connell after the game. But you have a bet on this game between the Chargers and the Bears on Sunday night. Yeah, I like L.A. Um, the Chargers were minus 10.5 here in look-aheads in some oh, so sides. even higher. Yeah, so there was eight, nine and a half and ten and a halfs in the look ahead markets, and they're now eight and a half. And I'm not understanding it because what we just witnessed was Tyson Bagent, um, you know, thankfully having a nice game and covering for me for the Bears. Uh, I had some Bears uh, money line, I think, uh, and we definitely gridiron gamble. We took the Bears in the contest, but. I mean, dude, this is just such a different situation than that. I mean, you're facing the Raiders at home in that game, hosting a backup quarterback on a bad team. And then now you're just, you know, facing a, a long travel against a defense that's actually got a pulse. I know the Chargers have been beaten up at times by very good offenses, but this is still a very talented team with, um, you know, when they've gotten destroyed, it's been, you know, Miami, the Chiefs, like Tyson Bajan is not even going to approximate this sort of production. I mean, I, they had success at some times moving the ball against a bad Raiders defense. But dude, Tyson Bajan had an A dot of 3.5 in that game. Okay. Once NFL defenses get that sort of thing on film, and they aren't the Raiders <laughs> where you're in a positive script against the Raiders. This is as good of a situation as you can be in as a quarterback, right? That sort of thing is not going to work once teams are game planning for you. Once they have film on you, I think the chargers are going to destroy the bears. They are playing against a bad team here at home for their season. This should be chargers by double digits. And I will be very surprised if it's not. So I think Bajan is probably, unfortunately for people who love this story, which, Hey, he got some nice uh, cover for me there uh, last week. And honestly, didn't even embarrass himself really that bad coming in cold against the Vikings. You know, they had a chance to win that game, but you know, that's another terrible defense. And at home again, in that spot, I think he's going to just get wrecked in this game. I, I just feel bad for saying that because it's a nice story, but I think the Bears are going to get flattened here. Who cares, man? It's not like you're a sports talk radio host. It's a nice story. You're a It is. He's played for something Shepherd Rams. I don't know what a Shepherd Ram is. I don't know what a Shepherd. I don't think anybody really knows what a Shepherd Ram is. I, that again, I pronounced, or I said Tyler Badgett last week and it's not only Tyson but it's Bajant so that's what I'm hearing yeah it's that's what you're hearing it is first career start about to make his second on Sunday Night Football against the Chargers Chargers have allowed the second most EPA per play this season right 
ahead of the Broncos. I'm not saying you're wrong on the side, because if I was going to bet this game, I would bet the Chargers. And as we hit on from the get-go with the Bills, maybe you tease Buffalo down with the Chargers. Kind of squarish, kind of chalky, but good bounce-back spot for both teams, at the very least. So if you are going to bet any sort of teasers in Week 8, Remember, you could do so at BetMGM with bonus code the lines to get up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If your first bet loses, promo code the lines one word for an up to $1,500 bonus bet back if that first initial bet at BetMGM Sportsbook fails to cash. Remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money. And as always, terms and conditions apply. Mo, any final words before we get out of here? No, I think we said a lot, and uh, <laughs> unlike many weeks, yeah, two bets that we already have uh, out there. So uh, a week where I guess we have some early conviction. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely juxtaposed to what the last few weeks. And we these are four potential bets if we want to count the bills in a teaser lag. Not saying Mo and I are going to do that. Remember to follow our picks and bets in the Discord channel. Link over at thelines.com. Subscribe for notifications. See if we put a teaser in on Buffalo. But yeah, we have some thoughts on every single game we discussed. Definitely different than recent weeks. So for Monoir, you can follow him on Twitter at Monoir. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. Follow the lines on Twitter at the lines US. Mo and I likely going to have a World Series betting preview later on in the week, along with our Thursday edition of Beat the Closing Numbers. So until then, thanks for watching and listening. So long, everybody.